Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as always by Will Schroeder, my friend, the founder and CEO of startups.com. Will, it's no surprise to anybody listening at this point that you and I spend a lot of time talking to founders. And one of the conversations we have over and over and over again is around co-founder, well, co-founder issues, co-founder selection, lots of stuff going on with co-founders. And one of those things is, you know, finding that perfect co-founder. And often we'll have people come to us and be like, I think I found the perfect co-founder. We're like, how many did you talk to? Oh, like one. <laughs> and so, so from that point, so there's the stage set. How and where and when does this go wrong? It almost always goes wrong. That's the, you know, that's the part of the mythology yeah. of co-founders that I've never been able to understand why like more startups, like it hasn't become more of a thing. So a long time ago, like back in the early YC days, somebody made a miss of, I think it was Paul Graham or somebody that was like, hey, we only want people who have co-founders or something to that effect, right? They like really promoted co-founders. And so now all of a sudden everybody's like, I have to have a co-founder, I have to have a co-founder, which again, not anti-co-founder whatsoever. But I think people like associated having a co-founder with I made a good decision. Okay, stick with that analogy. It's the way when I see people either have spouses or, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever. And they're like, I'm with someone. I'm like, is it the right person? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. You made a choice. Whether it's the right choice or not, we'll take some time to figure out. Yeah. And I've actually found a lot of parallel, and I'm sure you have too, between, you know, picking a co-founder and picking a life mate. Because there's so many things that you you need to consider. However, I've generally found, I'm curious to your experience, I've generally found that people spend less time interviewing and dating, so to speak, their co-founder who they're going to build this massive enterprise than somebody they would otherwise be dating on Tinder. It's amazing. I've seen people deliberate more over what they're going to have for dinner than who they're going to found. They're, I, I'm not kidding. Like, it's been one of those things where I was like, well, how did it come to pass? It's like, ah, oh, you know, I was telling them about the idea and really liked it. And so then I was like, well, you want to be my co-founder, right? And sometimes it's quite literally that simple and that understudied, right? <laughs> like, well, what was diligence like? Well, no, it wasn't. Let me give you a perfect example. One of our favorite programs, Startup Weekend, right? They've had over 50,000 companies get created, which doesn't mean much. I mean, the whole purpose of it is people come together, but they're literally strangers. And Startup Weekend always had this amazing problem, which was everyone was super hyped to work on their business for the 54 hours that they had from Friday till Sunday so they could pitch it on Sunday night. And then everybody gets together on Monday and they're all fired up to start a business together and nobody's together on Friday, right? Because <laughs> like, they realize, I just met all these randos. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And so, you know, what I found when we have these conversations with founders who are considering finding a co-founder is that we basically got three different categories that people fall short on or don't consider. <laughs> yep. Selection, you know, kind of who and how you pick the person just in general, right? Or how you found them. Shared cost, whether or not they actually understand that it's not all just upside you're sharing, right? And the last part is, is commitment. Are they willing to work as hard as you are? And so I think we should explore each of those in detail because those are the big ones. I'm, I'm actually leaving out personality. Obviously, personality matters. I think that's the part that everybody kind of understands, you know, kind of easy to overlook in some cases, but they understand. But these are the things that when you get them wrong, you get them super wrong. And I think it starts with finding a co-founder, right? Literally, like, how did you go about the process? When you talk to most founders, 
How did they pick their co-founder? Yeah, I mean, it's generally accidental. <laughs> like it was some random particle collision that occurred. Some <laughs> minor spark happened. And then we've decided we're going to build an empire based on this very tenuous and short-lived relationship. Yeah, it's it's not very it's not a scientific process in most cases. It's not a deliberate process in most cases. It's almost always some version of an accident, right? There is very little purpose behind the selection or the search, if there even was a search. Again, like most of the time, it was some random encounter that led them to thinking, oh, maybe this person should be my co-founder, right? Without any any further deliberation. It's just like they're here, they're at least interested more so than anyone else, and therefore they're qualified now. They're willing to work on it, so they are qualified. So this is it, right? It's literally like saying, this is the first person that said they'd go on a date with me, so we're getting married. That's <laughs> We're good. That's all I needed. Isn't that how it works? <laughs> I'm good. And look, just just like in our personal lives, dating, marriage, whatever, like it can work, right? There are plenty of people who said, hey, I met this person in high school. You know, we've been best friends and we've been married ever since, right? Awesome. It can work. It generally doesn't. No, those are the people that are keeping the divorce rate at only 50%. <laughs> That's crazy. When I think about it, uh, Ryan, when I think about how people go about this search, again, to be fair, it's not like we always have tons of candidates, like it's The Bachelor and we're handing out roses, right? It's it's not quite that simple, okay? Typically, it's based on this. Who is willing to do it? That's it. <laughs> and if one person steps up, good, I'm good, right? What we lose when we use that as our only, only measuring stick is how bad of a decision criteria that actually is. Now, the alternative, of course, is to go solo for longer, right? You know, if that's your move. Typically, what I hear is, hey, I'm bad at this one thing. This person's good at one thing. And it, like, in other words, like nine times out of 10, it's like, hey, this person's a developer. They could write code for my app. I was going to say, man, yeah. Right. Like, yeah the, it, the one time we do see people deliberately go looking for somebody is when they need the technical co-founder, by which they actually mean, I can't afford to pay a developer yet. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, I, I get it. I get it. I think what we're doing is, is we're overshooting this mark, right? Here's a good example. I need to build a house. So I need to go marry a general contractor. <laughs> yeah, this is the example I've used, man. Like, yeah, you do right. not marry a carpenter just to get your dream house. There are other ways to skin that cat. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go marry a plumber in order to get this built, right? Like, no, you need to find a way to work with one and give them incentive, right? So that they can just produce work. They don't necessarily have to be the person that now owns half your company. That's insane. It is. Well, also, just for what it's worth, right? This is one of those we deal with all the time, right? Where then somebody's having issues with this person somewhere down the road. And you're like, okay, well, how did you find them? Well, I needed a, a technical co-founder at the time. Okay, so I'm hearing that. Like, you need a developer. Great. And so you went and found the one person. Well, there's probably more. But you found a person who was willing to work for free. You probably got exactly what you paid for, right? And this is where <laughs> the problems start to begin. It's like, just because this person is willing to do this, in some ways, to me, that's a red flag that this person probably doesn't have the full requisite skill set that I need for the long term, especially because we're talking about, right? You're, you're making a short term decision. I need a developer and I can't afford one. By making a long-term commitment, I'm going to make you a co-founder of this company. By the way, you were one of the very few developers I could find who was willing to work for free, but I think that you've got what it takes to run this thing all the way to the NASDAQ. Maybe. Haven't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's just zoom out on these criteria for a second. Criteria number one is all you have to be willing to do is say yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Bad, that was right? pretty easy. Criteria number two. 
I haven't talked to anyone else that would be willing to take the job. So regardless of whether you check any other boxes, you get the job by being the only person in the room. You're the most qualified person I've talked to. Yeah, because I've talked to no one else. Yeah. Number three, have I ever worked with you on a startup? No, you know, we worked together at X company in the past. Cool, that helps a little bit. Almost literally nothing to do with this is. Right. We know where we'll have lunches. That's about it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Like sorted that out. Before, if both of you were mad at your jobs, you get to blame the company. Now it's your fault. (laughs) Like that's not the same thing whatsoever, right? It helps to have a little bit of familiarity. Don't get me wrong, right? I mean, that's a plus, but it doesn't actually get you that far. So I was talking to a founder. You and I were talking about him before the show. We were talking to a founder last week and he was considering getting a co-founder. And I kind of gave him the same speech that I give just about everybody when they're talking about this. The first thing I say is I don't need to help you with the pros and cons of a co-founder because you already know what the pros are right? So let's just talk about the cons. Like, like what are the downsides? And not to be anti-co-founder, I just want to make sure you're looking at it appropriately. Yes. Right? Yeah, exactly. Same thing we say with capital, right? Same thing we say with raising funds, right? There's nothing wrong with raising funds, but let's make sure it's the right thing to do. And now, and that when you do decide to do it, that you approach it with eyes wide open and do it well. That's it. I always tell people you're about to make probably the most expensive decision in your life with the least amount of criteria. Yeah. (laughs) But Will, my equity is valueless at this point. And so therefore, it doesn't matter. This is the cheapest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, monopoly money. Yeah, monopoly money. That is 100% of the future value of your company. So there's that. You don't believe there's any value. You shouldn't be doing this. So here's what I say. I said, okay, let's zoom out for a second. Number one, you don't need a co-founder necessarily to do everything you're trying to do. Ergo, I need code written. Guess what? That's a contractor, not a co-founder, right? I need somebody to help me make you know good, important decisions. That's called an advisor, right? I need somebody that's going to be with me through this whole thing. Dude, hire an employee, right? will <laughs> be with you. Like, if you're solving for loneliness, a co-founder is not the answer. If you're solving for getting work done, a co-founder is not the answer, right? What I'm saying is in each of these cases, yes, having a co-founder could fill those roles. It is exponentially the most expensive way to get any of this done. It's like saying, hey, I live a mile away from the grocery store and all I do is buy groceries. I need a Rolls Royce to get there. You can. (laughs) You can get a Rolls Royce to drive that mile, right? Or not. There's a million other ways to get this done. The most expensive way is actually probably the worst possible decision. I don't think people hear that enough. I don't think they do either. And then to circle back on that, right? The other side of it is it's not guaranteed, right? It's not the most expensive way. it's It's an expensive bet. But there isn't even any certainty that anything's going to come out of it other than the known downsides of now having another decision maker, having other people's emotions to deal with, all of that stuff. I was talking to somebody about six months ago, and they were kind of in the same same situation where they were like, look, I've been doing this on my own for a year and a half. I feel really lonely. I feel really isolated. You know, the ups and downs are a lot to deal with when I'm by myself, and I'm just kind of scared. And I was like, So you understand that the other person that you choose to involve in this will likely have the exact same emotional response to all those things. Do you think that seeing that reflected on the face of another human is going to make you feel better, right? Yes, commiseration helps. But if you're both going through exactly the same thing at the same time, do you really think that person is going to be able to emotionally support you? Do you think that they're going to be able to make better decisions under that type of pressure than you can? Typically, no, right? So now you've just got two people shaking in their boots 
And now you have half the equity. So how much better does that feel? Agreed. Now, the other side of it too is I was like, listen, you don't have to solve every problem as a co-founder or specifically if what you're intending is a co-founder, you don't have to just give give up all your equity right away and see how it goes. That's awful. Again, that's like handing someone an engagement ring and saying, yeah, we'll figure out the rest later. <laughs> no, that's a terrible idea. So what are the alternatives? Alternative number one in every single case, not even alternative, it's really the only way you should go. Try before you buy. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And make sure that both sides are trying before they buy for the same reasons. So it looks like this. Ryan, you're a superstar CTO that I seem to have found that seems to want to work on my mobile app, right? You know, one of the most consistent scenarios ever, right? What I say to you as a CTO that might be interested in joining the company is let's take a three to six month period where I'll essentially pay you for your time, you know, in some version of equity, et cetera. And let's see if you even like the product. You know, by the way, let's also see if you ever deliver anything. Let's see if, you know, if you and I get along. I was going to say, given this scenario, let's give me at least six months to figure out if I can code an app. That'd be helpful. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so in that time, here's what percentage of the company or, you know, what kind of equity that I'm willing to give you. Right. And it should be a fairly small amount. Right. Not like 50% of the company, like maybe five or 10% of the company, which is a massive amount for a ridiculously small commitment. But again, people think, hey, it's monopoly money. I'm not, you know, it's not real money, so I can give it away. It will be the most expensive purchase you've ever made in your entire life. With that said, give it some period of time, probably six months. I haven't seen a lot of cases, Ryan, you and I have worked with a ton of people. I haven't seen a lot of cases where you can't start to see whether things are going right or wrong within six months. Maybe it takes you longer. Certainly hasn't. We usually find out pretty quickly. You'll have seen enough red or green flags at that point to sort of know the score, I think. Yep. At least you'll have something. By the way, and this is just as important, so will they. Yeah, yeah. Right? You need to give them time to get into this to see if this actually works. Because here's what actually happens 80% of the time. Someone gets real geeked up about your idea. They say, yes, I want to work on it. They start working on it. And then life happens, right? Yeah, yeah. Life happens. They have a kid or their job gets crazy, or they lose their job, or they just get burnt out, or they get depressed, or you name it. It actually kind of doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The probability that the person you're banking on is going to be the same person with the same enthusiasm in six months is like 20%. Yep. But here's the trick. You, being all founders, you've never done this before. So you have no idea how this works. Imagine you're giving this advice to your kid, and it's your son or daughter, and they've met someone... And they were like, you know, it's sophomore year of high school. This is the person I want to be with forever, bar none, no questions asked. And you're like, you know, I mean, you've really never done this before. So kind of makes sense, right? We always use this mantra, you know, Ryan, with all of our founders here is that there's no reason you should know this stuff because there's no reason you've probably done it before. You've never done it before. Yeah. You've never done it before. So there's no reason you should have this experience. Totally get it. So, you know, as folks are listening, they're like, oh man, these guys are pretty hardcore about this stuff. We're just trying to help. Yeah. <laughs> we're just yeah. trying to help you. Like, if the conversations that we had were overwhelmingly positive in all cases around co founders, that would be a different story. Now, of course, like anything, right? Having co founder conversations is a lot like reading Yelp reviews because people tend to go after something's gone horribly wrong, right? We tend to have these conversations where things aren't going right. So I do need to be a little careful there. But a few things jump out to me in, in terms of these types of conversations. One is that it's rarely the original founder who's causing the trouble. And I don't, I don't necessarily mean causing trouble, but basically it's, it's usually the original founder who comes to us with the co-founder issue. I can only think of maybe one or two scenarios where it's like 
a later stage co-founder, it could be months in, it could be a year in, it could be whatever, it doesn't really matter, that they're the ones who are coming and saying, look, you know, this was their idea, they started this thing, but they're not really pulling weight. It's almost always somebody who came in later. To your point, they got excited about it, you know, they jumped in, and now life has happened. And that's one of those scenarios where I think that we need to be careful there. But this is just, the balance is, sadly, on the side, it's like any relationship. It's most likely to not work out, right? For lots of reasons. And these are insanely dynamic relationships. So this is why we have to be so hardcore about this, why we have to be adamant about this, because we see the reality of it on the other side. You know, something that's really funny about everything we talk about here is that none of it is new. Everything you're dealing with right now has been done a thousand times before you, which means the answer already exists. You may just not know it, but that's okay. That's kind of what we're here to do. We talk about this stuff on the show, but we actually solve these problems all day long at groups.startups.com. So if any of this sounds familiar, stop guessing about what to do. Let us just give you the answers to the test and be done with it. It's also the hardest to unwind. It's the hardest to unwind. It's that simple. Right. So the second part about it, when we're talking about the kind of this break in period is also this concept of explaining to them the equity split or whatever the split is, isn't just upside. Now, this is specific to co-founders. This doesn't really come up with employees, even though they technically own some equity and technically they would you know, owe their pro rata share of some of, of expenses. That's usually not the case. They're kind of shielded from it. We're generally talking about people who are significant co-founders, like 50-50 kind of co-founders. When you talk to co-founders and you talk about their percentage split, the part of the conversation that never comes up, because again, founders haven't you know been doing this long enough, is the other side of the 50-50, which is, by the way, you also now share 50% of the cost, okay? So, so let me play out a couple of those scenarios that terrify people, right? Now, I'm not trying to terrify people, but this is it's kind of the point though, right? You sit down with the co-founder and you say, okay, you know, we're going to split 50-50. Cool. We have about three to $5,000 a month worth of expenses that I'm now covering myself. And now I need you to cover half of those in the future, right? Going forward. Whoa, hang on, hang on. I'm here to hold the mallet the day we, we ring the bell at the NYSE, right? Like that, that's it. I want upside equity. I don't want the downside equity, right? Or when shit hits the fan, we have to let go of everybody. I'll take half the people and you'll take half the people. <laughs> I'll, I, I get the half that are staying, right? Yeah. <laughs> nobody understands what their equity means. Like, again, everybody wants the upside. Nobody wants the downside. Of course, who would want the downside? And it's almost always not even addressed, right? Like how often is it you talk to somebody and you're like, okay, so as you were getting them all excited about this to the point where they said, yes, that they love your idea, how much of the risk did you talk about? How much of the strife that you've already suffered in the last 18 months that you've been running this thing have you talked about? And like, yeah, no, we pretty much just talked about what happens when everything goes perfectly. Yeah, mention that, which never cool. happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. And look, like, you know, if we have a bad month, bad quarter, you know, whatever our time period is, yes, we were both making like kind of shitty, but okay, sal like livable salaries now. When this thing goes sideways, that's going to get cut in half. Goes to zero or negative. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, or negative, right? And so I think for a lot of folks that are you know, coming from the other side of things, which could probably be its own episode around what is it like to be a co-founder and you know, kind of take that journey, a big part of what you need to consider is someday this might be equity of value, but right now it's equity of liability. And you really have to understand what that means, right? So again, the person coming on, they come on and they say, okay, cool. You know, how much am I getting paid? When am I getting paid, et cetera? 
And it's like, well, you're getting paid today, maybe, right? You may not get paid in the future. These are things that people just don't consider. They just need to understand this isn't an employment offer. This is a substantial co-parenting of the business. And you got to own yours. I think it's hard. It's hard to have that discussion. I think it's hard for a lot of founders who they're so caught up in that or what's around the next bend, right? That they're so caught up because that's what motivates us, right? If, if we were just stuck and mired in the, whatever the current situation is, we wouldn't run these things because, you know, at various periods, they're awful. And so I think that most founders avoid that. And, you know, in order to sound great, we've talked about this in so many ways, founders are always in positive pitch mode right? To themselves, to everybody around them, to investors, to partners, to employees, to the potential co-founders. They're so used to just pitching the positive aspects of this and being ready to defend the negative if it comes up. And that's it, right? And so they end up in the situation where all they've done is extol all of the wonderful things this business is going to be. And there's just absolutely no discussion around this. And I understand it, right? They want people to believe in it. They need that positive reinforcement at the point where there's no customers. You need somebody to tell you, this is a great idea. This is really cool. Oh, I like this. I like this a lot. I'd love to work on this. And that's, <laughs> there's that magic moment where they're like, you like me? Oh, let's be friends. Oh, let's be co-founders. Yeah, let's get married. So I think that, you know, that's a part of it. And to your point, nobody wants to scare everybody. But look, if you're going back and forth with this discussion of equity in developers, like, hey, I have to have 50%. That's like, cool, dude, next month, I need to, to shell out $1,500 a month um, to pay for these expenses. Oh, wait, you know, maybe I don't want 50%. Are you kidding me? Right? Like, again, even a small amount of responsibility makes people realize that this isn't just all upside. So we've hammered that home. The third part that we talked about was commit. People, how do you know the other person is more committed? And what I tell people at a high level, because I've had this experience myself, is you ideally want to find someone that will outwork you. Now, commitment can be a lot of things. It's not just ours, right? But that's just, it's an interesting metric. In my first business back in the agency days, at first I was by myself, then we merged with another agency. And I essentially had like, like a partner, co-founder kind of thing. And it was the only person I've ever met that has clearly outworked me, right? Like, Dude, no matter what time I came into work, and this was back in the day where like the boss comes in early to open up shop kind of thing. If I came into work into the office at like 6 a.m., let's be honest, that's a ridiculously early time. Uh, I was the second car in the parking lot every <laughs> single time, Yeah. right? When I left at nine o'clock at night, I was the second car to leave every single night, right? It was bananas, right? That, that guy was a machine. And, you know, he did well by it. But it made me want to work more. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that was a problem. I was going to say, <laughs> like, if, we, if, we, if we go back and, and, and unwind this, that, may, that might be something your therapist wants to talk about, Will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no question, right? But like, it was very inspirational. It's probably a good way to say it. But most importantly, I never questioned his commitment. That is as important. I mean, I think those two things are both important. They, you know, great co-founders motivate each other, right? They, they motivate each other in, in positive ways. They inspire each other. And they don't give pause or concern, right? Because I think that's one of, talk about a transaction that has all kinds of buyer's remorse. Signing those co-founder papers and, and, and signing away equity is one of those things where then from that minute forward, you start to evaluate things very differently, which I find really funny, right? Again, though know, there was so little deliberation put into this decision up front. Then after it's done, then it falls under all the scrutiny. It's like, you know, if you'd put a little more of that time in up front, this might have gone very, very differently. But I think it's one of those really important things that after that decision is made, 
you need to feel like there's at a minimum parity in the output and the effort is at least you're not worried about what that person is doing, right? Because that, that is a major, major drain. Because now instead of adding some support, you've added an additional worry, which is not something you need to try to accumulate as a startup founder. They come for free from all directions. But you also feel shitty. Right. Yeah, 100%. That was my thing. Like, while it wasn't so much I just needed somebody to motivate me to work harder, again, not really a problem I was trying to solve. There was another side of it where I never felt like I was rowing the boat without them. Yeah. I was never concerned that my co founder at the time wasn't carrying his fair share, right? No matter what. And you know what's funny, Ryan? There's this quote from investment banking. And now that I think about it, he actually came from investment banking. The quote goes something like this If you're not willing to come in on Saturday, don't bother coming in on Sunday. <laughs> Right. And, and, yeah. and, and the you know, concept, of course, being like, look, if you're not 100% committed, don't bother being here at all. Right. And that's how I felt. Like, I felt like I was the person who's going to come in on Saturday and Sunday. This has nothing to do with hours. So don't don't respond to the literal hours. It has to do with just my level of commitment, whether I came in on Saturday or Sunday or not. Not really the point. Point was I was willing to and my commitment was there. But so was he. And so I never felt like, hey, I'm on I'm there Saturday or Sunday by myself which is metaphorically what you don't want. And when we talk about commitment, when we talk about finding somebody that has that parity of commitment, there's nothing more frustrating in that relationship than being at a point where it's like, dude, I'm working my ass off. And forget hours for a second. I'm contributing more than they are, right? That's the most frustrating thing in the world because, and we talked about this before, they have no idea that they're not contributing. Right. In their mind, everybody thinks they work hard. So they don't know that they're not contributing. Okay. So what? But you do. <laughs> You're well aware. Right. Even if you just feel like that, it's a problem. Even if it's not entirely factually accurate, maybe there's just a visibility issue, whatever. It kind of doesn't matter. At the moment, you feel like that. This is where, you know, regardless of the actual chop on the seas, it starts to feel like pretty rough water at that point, man. It just, it's an awful feeling that can, it drags you down and then it can start to impact your work output, right? And this is the last thing we need as founders. Yeah. You see this in team environments, right? You know, with people on the team, one person's kind of just slacking. They're clock punching all the time. Like they're just, they're always out. They're always gone. They're always doing what the fuck ever. And the rest of the team, you know, we've seen this when we've had to let people go and the team does a sigh of relief. Like, dude, like that person was dragging us down, right? It's the same thing. It's, it's if you don't have parity of commitment, it doesn't feel great. Now, the tricky thing here is to assess that you actually need a period of time. But I'll throw in a few caveats that I think are interesting. I think there's like two levels of commitment, one that you can test and, and one that just takes time, right? The first level of commitment is, is the person, like we said, six within six months, within six months, is the person still kind of like as excited or, you know, contributing as they are in six months? I would say, and this is this is fortunate, I would say that probably in 50% or more of the cases, you'll see it right there. Because it's easy to get excited about anything. It's hard to actually do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And getting excited about an idea is just talking, right? You're just, you just, it's an emotional response. The minute you actually have to put the gloves on and start digging holes, it becomes a very different situation. If you want to kind of envision the example of it, every salesperson ever, I'm going to sell this much. Cool. Six months. Yeah. You didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Now what? Yeah. Every salesperson ever. And I think that's one of the complications is that some things like sales are very, very objective. I had a conversation earlier this week on Monday, Tuesday around exactly this, where there was this feeling that one co-founder wasn't pulling their weight. There's three co-founders in this company. One co-founder isn't pulling their weight right now. 
And in talking to the other two, it turned out, and it's separate, separate conversations, it turned out that there was really about a two and a half month period in which this co-founder isn't pulling their weight. And as you really dig in, what we found out was they're kind of in pause mode waiting for some stuff that the other two are working on, right? That what they need to do is somehow predicated on what these other two are going to do, right? So it was a communication issue and they just weren't, right? So it's so tough though, right? Because again, the other two felt adamant enough about this, the fact that they were pulling weight and this other person wasn't, that it was starting to cause real dissension amongst the team and trying to fix that. And so I think that you're right. I think we need to be very careful in which the horizon, like the, the event horizon, which we're, we're looking at these things, how long of a period of time are we talking? Is this a blip or is this a trend or is this just absolutely, you know, the, the way this person operates and how important is this? And because they were at the point where like two and a half months of this, they were already like, okay, so can you tell us how we get rid of a co-founder? And I'm like, well, okay, I can. <laughs> like, let's talk about whether that really needs to happen or not first. Give me, give me a little bit of background. As we dug into it, I think this one will resolve, right? It's one of the few where I look at it and I go, there's not enough here that makes me think this person needs to be jettisoned from the ship just yet. Right. And sometimes it's, do they have value or are they not contributing value? Right. Cause like you can have value. Like, like they're Tom Brady loses Super Bowls or used to when he played, right? Like he clearly has value, but sometimes it doesn't always show up in the same way. Right. We want to make sure that that person's still recognized. Yep. This was a pivotal question in that conversation, actually. And I said, okay, well, why are they here? And in both cases, both of the other co-founders said, well, they're the only one who knows this aspect of it. I was like, okay, so they are very important. Um, and that led us to another discussion, which sometimes, you know, going back to contribution and measuring of contribution and equity splits, one of the things that I said was like, look, you know, this may just be a necessitous case where you adjust equity at this point. Like if everybody's contributions aren't going to be important on an equal level going forward, this is part of what defines that equity structure and who owns what of the company. Uh, they're important, but maybe they're 10% important. And the other two of you are 40 and 40 or 45 and 45% important, right? So figure it out. Yeah, I agree. And so so how I think about this is commitment has these two tiers that we talked about, you know, the two event horizons. You've got the short-term one, call it six months, could be a year, I'm just making up a time. And then there's the long-term one. And the long-term one, the reason I'm, I'm separating that one is because it's also easy to get involved in anything for one year, right? Even if you're not losing some excitement, your deliverables aren't there, it's hard, hard to get involved in anything for five years, 10 years, right? Because usually things aren't going well, <laughs> like most of the founders I talk to when they hit those those milestones, it's not like, man, I can't believe how much money we're making. Like this is, you know, <laughs> it's not the problem. You don't know who your friends are, so to speak, until things go bad. And I'll give you an example. So back in the day when Elliot and I started Afford It, right? And for those of you who don't know, Elliot's our COO. When Elliot and I started Afford It, uh, this is 2007, give or take, things went really well, right? And it was, it was going awesome. High five, Palooza, right? And then all of a sudden things took a turn, the, the market just imploded and we couldn't raise a penny and it was an absolute disaster. The reason Ellie and I work together today, like after all these years, is because during that time, he was cool. That's simple, right? During that time, he could have been an ass. If you're cool during the hard times. Yep. Gives you great indication. And that's the way I look at things. I look at things like, I don't really know who people are until things go south. Yeah, you never do. When we were running the agency, you know, things got really big, really fast. And all of a sudden everybody was my friend. Right. And I was like, oh, cool. I must be really popular and good looking. Right. <laughs> it was like, oh, no, I had something to offer lots of people and jobs and, you know, partnerships and whatever. And so I didn't understand at the time I was young. I didn't understand why everybody was my friend in good times. Now, when things went south, meaning dot com bust hit. Right. And we had to lay a bunch of people off. 
every single one of those managers that was my ride or die partner, right, was literally hiding in their offices so they didn't have to talk to any of the people that were about to get let go. Yeah, that ride or die turns into, I'm going to ride while you die real quick, right? Like that's, that's how that plays so out every time. And look, I, I get it. I get it, right? Because, you know, like who wants to be there in bad times, of course. But what I'm saying is like the real commitment isn't for, hey, we just raised money. I can't believe you're willing to join for like a full-time salary. No shit. <laughs> like who wouldn't, right? Yeah, there's a difference between involvement and commitment, right? Em- employees, generally speaking, are involved, right? And they may be bought in. But if something really bad starts to happen, there's a big difference in why they would tolerate that downside, right? We get that. So no bones here. But that's the way this works, right? There are going to be some people who are committed. There are going to be some people who are involved. And just because you're a co-founder doesn't mean you're committed. Like you might be committed on paper. You might be committed legally to things. And this is <laughs> this is all those things that might scare people off, which, hey, by the way, best time to scare them is before you sign those documents, not after. And I think it's so important that we keep all of this in perspective as, as we're nearing to these things. These things, startups are really hard. Relationships are really hard. When we merge these two things together, they become even harder. And I think that's one of the fallacies that needs to be broken down is that like, look, if I just had somebody else here with me, this would all be that much easier. Yeah, because dealing with somebody else's emotions is always way easier than just dealing with your own. But yeah, it's a fun web, right? It's an interesting thing to become entangled. And I think with the right decision made up front, it becomes a lot easier. I agree. There's plenty of things that you can do early on to try to just pump the brakes a little bit. And that's all we're talking about. That's all we're talking about is, yes, there's some upsides, but there's kind of a lot of downsides. And unfortunately, the downsides are really, really expensive, not just financially, but emotionally and all and legally and all these other different ways. All we're saying, kind of the, the synopsis of all this is simply to state that if you're thinking about finding a co-founder, pump the brakes, spend some time getting to know the co-founder, let them work with you for a while. Figure out first if you actually just needed an employee, a consultant, an advisor, or a co-founder. Chances are you didn't need the last one, okay? And you were about to give up the farm to do it. Sometimes you just need time. Right now, you don't have anything. You don't have a product or anything else like that. And then all of a sudden, you ship the product and you're like, huh, I didn't actually need like a 50% person just to get some code written, right? Some of this is just a factor of time. It's almost all a factor of time. But wherever you are in the process, Take a step back, take a beat. This might be the best co-founder ever, but statistically, it's probably not. And the only way you can protect yourself is by biding a little bit of time. So in addition to all the stuff related to founder groups, you've also got full access to everything on startups.com. That includes all of our education tracks, which will be funding, customer acquisition, even how to manage your monthly financers. There's so much stuff in there. All of our software, including BizPlan for putting together detailed business plans and financials, LaunchRock for attracting early customers, and of course, Fundable for attracting investment capital. When you log into the startups.com site, you'll find all of these resources available.